0: Uh, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Sojourn. It's good just to be with you this morning and uh, just good to worship with you, to sing with you, to have God's word read over us this morning. If this is your first time gathering with us, I uh, just want to say welcome, especially to you. Love to meet you after the service. I usually hang out down front afterwards, so please feel free to come up and say hello. Um, and you can uh, also get connected at our connect table if you want to find out more info about our church. Uh, But man, it's just good to gather with you guys this morning. We're going to be preaching out of the scriptures as we do every week. And so if you need a copy of the Bible, if you just raise your hand, somebody will bring a copy of God's word around to you. We want you to be able to read along with us this morning. If you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to take that home with you. Uh, They're always in the back. That's a gift to you. Uh, We believe it's precious because it's God's word to us. So uh, as we get started this morning, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, uh, which is the first book in the New Testament, the first gospel account uh, that talks about Jesus' life and his ministry. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. But as we, get, be, uh, as we get into that, as we get going this morning, I just want to start our time uh, by just going to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we are just excited to be here this morning. Well, at least I hope we are. And Father, I know there's a lot that could be going on in our lives right now. Uh, things that could be distracting. Maybe a situation at work or sickness at home. Difficulty with our spouse or our children. Loneliness, anxiety, whatever it might be, Lord. We just want to come before you right now as we get ready to open up your word, as we look at Jesus's words to us today. I pray just as we can acknowledge that reality of the difficulty and challenges of our life, lay those before you right now. And Father, just pray that you would remove some of that distraction, allow our hearts and our minds to engage not on the troubles of our life right now, but be focused on you, that you would allow us to have a sense of just releasing that burden over us that we could just receive what you have for us today. And so, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to work in this time. I pray that you'd comfort us. I pray you'd encourage us. I pray that you'd challenge us this morning and that by being here today, sitting under your word, that you would transform our lives. And, Lord, we know that that's not something that happens because of special way I say something. It's in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and the living and active word. And so, as we open up this morning, we pray that you would do what only you can do and that you'd get the glory for it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, something that, uh, that every person experiences, something that's kind of universal for all of us in life, is at multiple points during any part of our life, we all experience starting something new. And it can be anything, right? We could, uh, it goes all the way back to when we're, when we're kids, we start a new grade, we go into a new class, maybe you move to a new neighborhood, it could be beginning a new job, uh, going to a new church. Maybe some of you are here this morning for the first time, this is new to you today. It could be moving to a new city, moving into a new place. I know several of you just moved from one apartment or one house to another one. Uh, It could be something like that where you're experiencing a new place where you're living. It could be a new relationship, uh, a new marriage. There's some newlyweds here, or people that are about to be newlyweds. Or having your first kid. No matter what it is, we can all have similar emotions that I think we can relate to in that, similar thoughts as we begin something new. Because when we do that, when we start something new, we all encounter a bit of the unknown. I mean, how does this thing work? How do I do this grade? How do I start off college? How does grad school really work? What in the world does it actually look like to be married? Does this kid come with an instruction manual? Right, We don't know sometimes when we start and encounter something new how to actually engage that. And at times, that new thing that we begin can create excitement, but at other times it can create great anxiety. See, I think the reason for that is because we like to be people that are in the know. We like to be in the know. We like to have knowledge. And, and I think one of the greatest idols, and when I mean idol, I mean something that we give ultimate value to, ultimate worth to, that we prescribe worship to. In our Western culture, something that I think that's on steroids here in Northern Virginia is this insatiable desire to have knowledge. And I don't necessarily mean in the sense of book smarts knowledge. I'm talking about information about others, about situations, about circumstances, about our work or our relationships, our kids, our neighbors, our culture, whatever it happens to be. We believe that if we have knowledge about those things... It's what's going to give us status or power or control. And then we believe then if we have those things, status and power and control that comes through this knowledge that we'll actually have lasting peace. If I know what's going to happen tomorrow, if I know what's going to happen in this new situation, if I know what's going on, then I can be okay. And I think we come by that honestly. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, this was at the core of their issue. They wanted to be in the know They wanted to have knowledge, knowledge that only God had. They wanted to be on the same level, playing field or plane of God and his knowledge of things. And all of us, whether we follow Christ or don't follow Christ, are tempted in the same way. When we don't know something, we feel unease. We feel discomfort. We can feel inferior to those that we think do know something. We maybe feel deprived of some some perceived right that we have to knowledge. When we don't know something, we tend to reject or run or refuse because the reason for that that I think we can reject, we can run, we can refuse it because it actually confronts a core issue or reality for all of us, it exposes the reality that none of us actually are in control of anything. And so we're often not okay with the unknown. We're not okay with the new. We're not okay with things that are outside of our control, outside of our power or ability outside of our understanding or ability to accomplish something on our own. And we're really not okay with the idea or the reality of being ruled by someone or something that isn't us. And that's the root problem for all of us. Either we're captive completely to it or we struggle with it. It's what the Bible calls sin. But here's some good news for you this morning as we begin our time together. Here's some great news. The most amazing news is this, that the cross of Jesus Christ... In the empty tomb that we celebrated last week at Easter overcomes all of this for us. It overcomes all of it. Now we're starting something new this week. We're starting a new sermon series. And as we jump into this sermon series, we're calling it Inverted Kingdom. Because as a church, what we're going to do over the next several months, it's going to take us several months to walk through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and what's often referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus essentially gets up on a mountain or a hillside and preaches to his disciples, to his people. And so we call this the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be spending time in this. And the reason we're calling it Inverted Kingdom is because what we'll see is that it's about Jesus who is king and his kingdom. But what we'll also see as we walk through this is that Jesus' kingdom looks upside down compared to what the world thinks about kings and kingdoms. We're starting something new. And as we jump into this, what I think it's going to show us, what we're going to be confronted with and challenged with as individuals, but also as a church family, is that it's going to press on the level of what we know and what we think we know. It's going to press on the level of who we are and how we live our lives. And that makes us a bit nervous, if we're honest. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus... Maybe you came this morning because you're checking out church, or maybe you came this morning because someone invited you to be here. My hope for you is that you'll learn more about Jesus in this. And this will, as you learn more about Jesus, you'll be compelled by his grace, you'll be compelled by his love to come into his kingdom. So let me, let me say something to you specifically this morning. If you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you to stick around with us. That this place, this community would be a group of people that you can hang out with for the next several months and just seek to learn more about Jesus and what Jesus' people are really called to and that you can journey with us through this Sermon on the Mount to look at this inverted kingdom of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Christ, let me encourage you and me this morning to set aside, to lay aside maybe the preconceived notions that we have about the king and his kingdom And I want us collectively together as as God's people to seek to listen and and to learn and to grow with new ears and new eyes, to open up our ears and our eyes to, to engage, to listen to the voice and the heart of our Savior King as we look at his word to us. So today as we begin this series, what I want to try to do is just to help us to understand a bit more about what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus being king and about his kingdom. And then we're also going to spend a bit of time this morning jumping in just the beginning of this sermon that Jesus kind of shares with us in the Sermon on the Mount with one verse looking at the basic currency of the kingdom, which is having nothing. So I hope and pray that God would bless the preaching of his word this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Matthew chapter 5. It's where we're going to be this morning for most of our time together in God's word. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 1, Matthew records this. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now again, before we kind of focus in on this first words out of Jesus's mouth, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I want to make sure we're understanding a bit more of what we're talking about here uh, and give a bit of an overview, an introduction of kind of what's going on here. And then we'll focus more specifically in on verse three. It's important for us to understand king and kingdom, because I think we maybe hear those words sometimes. And and whether you've been around the church for a little while or not, those those are churchy sounding kind of words. Jesus is king. This is his kingdom, but do we really understand what he's talking about? And so to start, I actually want to go back a bit further into chapter 4 to see some of what Jesus says there. So if you have your Bible still open, I hope you do, just go up a few verses into chapter 4, verse 17. This is right after Jesus has been tempted by Satan in the desert. He's overcome temptation, and it says this, verse 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says repent. Repent means a changing of our mind, literally a changing of our mind or turning away from uh, the way of thinking and doing something to turning to something different. So what Jesus is clearly saying here is repent and turn to the kingdom of heaven. It's here. You may have been pursuing other kingdoms and other things, but turn away from those things and turn to the one true kingdom and right after this, in chapter 4, Jesus calls his first disciples. And Matthew records that, that Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew, two fishermen who are brothers. And they make their living by fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And he, and he calls them. And he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He calls them to be his disciples. And, and disciple is a, a word that means a uh, learner. It means Follower. Again, it's not about head knowledge. It's about, it's about living a new way of life, learning a new way of life. And it says in verse 20, when Jesus calls them, immediately, that word's so important, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They drop everything. Think about it. You're at your workplace right now. You've got your, your pencil, your laptop, or whatever it is you do. You do something with your hands. And, and he says, if he follow you and you immediately drop all that stuff and you just go, you go, you walk out. And start following Jesus. Later on we see he calls James and John who are also fishermen in like manner. And they leave and follow him. They leave their dad behind. And then just go after Jesus. In verse 23 and 25 of chapter 4 we see Jesus is teaching all over the place. And it says that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The good news. That's what the word gospel means. He's preaching the gospel, the good news of his kingdom. And he's healing people. From every disease and affliction. And more and more people are coming to him. More and more people are hearing about him. His, his fame is spreading all over this region. And then we get to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And it says Jesus sees these crowds of people. As Jesus' fame goes out, as people hear more about Jesus, they're, they're curious about Jesus. And so they start to come to him and gather around and they're kind of, hey, I think Jesus is in town. I want to find out what this whole thing is and what's going on Is this guy for real. And so the crowds are forming and they're beginning to to follow after him. But what we see here, what we need to understand is this large group of people doesn't necessarily mean that all these people believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that all these people are disciples of Jesus. It may simply mean that they're curious about Jesus. Maybe some of you here today find yourself in that same spot. You haven't placed your faith in Christ. You wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you are curious about him. You're curious about him. And man, let me say again, I'm glad that you're here this morning. It's a good place to be. So this crowd is there. They're wanting something from Jesus. They're wanting to get something from him. And and those that are his disciples, we don't know how many there are at that point. We know at least there's four because he's called Peter and Andrew, he's called James and John, but likely there's others because Jesus has been teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. They, They come up close. So you can kind of picture a scene of people, there's a huge crowd of people, and as he sits down to teach, the disciples come close to him. They want to come up close because they want to listen, they want to learn, they want to follow Jesus. So Matthew tells us he sits down, which was a normal way to teach, and he teaches them, and he begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, there's that word kingdom. And we can struggle to understand this because we don't currently live in a kingdom, right? So you can think of castles or kings or horses or knights or things like that or maybe some a, a movie that you like, you think about kings and kingdoms. and So we need to try and understand a bit more of what God's talking about, what Jesus is talking about as he preaches about the kingdom. See, when we hear the word kingdom, when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, Saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is wherever the king is present and ruling. That, that's where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God come to bear. So, in some senses, it's everywhere and always because God is, is everywhere and all powerful. But the kingdom is not simply a place. God's kingdom is not simply a place, it's a reality. It's not about territory or boundaries. It's about your heart. It's about worship. It's about following the king. You are a part of the kingdom if you follow the king. So Jesus has come and he's announced that the kingdom of heaven is near. It has come and is coming because the king has come. But that gets back to what we talked about in the beginning, our problem with being in control. A band that was popular when I was in high school was a band called Rage Against the Machine. So it's crazy because that's like, I think like their one of their biggest albums is like 20 years old now. So I guess that's like starting to become like oldies or something. Um, but anyway, Rage Against the Machine, that, that was the name of this band, and maybe you haven't heard of them, um, you, you might not want to go listen to them if you've never heard of them before. Um, some of their songs are pretty raw, but, uh, but the, the, the gist of Rage Against the Machine, a lot of their songs are very anti-establishment, very revolutionary, uh, confronting things they feel like where peop- the people are are being oppressed by the government or other uh, factors of society and culture. And, and so their name embodies a lot of what their songs are about. They're raging against the machine. We're, we're going to rage against the machine, against these systems and, and structures that we don't like. And here's the reality, though. They, they were overt in their thoughts and feelings on culture and society, but every generation at some level rages against the machine and we can look back through history and see this, we, we don't like systems and structures that are over us. And I think what happens is it's both a combination of disillusionment and idealism, and, and they feed off of one another. It can be overt through songs or demonstrations or things of that nature, but for most people, it is just in our minds and our hearts and sometimes spills over into our actions. I mean, we see this in our political landscape right now, right? We have our, our, our next presidential election is coming up, and see the front runners in this election. And what we have is a picture, a, a, a great snapshot of, of disillusionment and idealism, right? There's a lot of people that are disillusioned in our country right now. Maybe you find yourself being one of those people. And so what's offered to you is an idealistic solution to that. If you just elect, for, elect this particular person, they're going to fix all the problems of our country. And what, so what happens, is a combination of this This disillusionment with the status quo, this idealism of a perfect solution to that, a perfect comfort, and it creates a dangerous situation. A dangerous situation. Because the reality is the combination of our disillusionment, the combination of disillusionment with idealism that feed off of one another, they seek to create or realize a reality that always seems just a bit out of reach for us. We see this over and over again, generation after generation. There's disillusionment and idealism. We have the right way, the right way to achieve what we think is best and most hopeful, but we never quite get there. Why is that? Because this world in its present realities and its hopes and its dreams and its promises to you and me, all of those things will continue to be empty and hollow and disappointing, no matter who's proposing them or providing the solution. say, well, why is that? Why is that the case? Because we all know, for honest, that whoever we crown as king, whoever we give allegiance to, whoever we seek to follow, which, if we're really honest, oftentimes is just a projection of ourselves, that we want to be the king and the rulers of our own lives, to call all the shots of our lives, whoever it is, will always let us down. Because the reality is, we have no one who's truly fit. To be king or to rule the kingdom or kingdoms that we long for or desire to actually be a part of. So then Jesus comes. And he says to us, the kingdom and the king are here. And this kingdom and this king are drastically different than what the world promises to you or demands from you. So drastic and so different that it might look upside down to you. See, this isn't an announcement about the way that the world is. It's a proclamation of what's starting to happen as the king and the kingdom have come near, have come to bear. It's good news. It's not good advice. We don't read the Sermon on the Mount. We don't look at what Jesus says here and say, these are just suggestions for life. That's really important for us to get This. This isn't a sermon of suggestions for us that Jesus gives. It's what life looks like when we are close to the king. It's what life looks like when we're close to the king. And here's what we have to understand, and I, and I think we're prone to miss, especially if you've been around the church for a little while, if you've if you've read through the Sermon on the Mount before, if you're familiar with this text, is this isn't regulation of the life of the disciple. It's not regulation. It's not boxes to check. It's not a place to score yourself off of where you go. How am I doing? Do I get an A, a B, B minus? These particular areas, that's not what Jesus is seeking to do here. What he's teaching are symptoms and signs and examples of what it means when the kingdom of God breaks into a world which is still under sin, still under death, still under Satan. These should be evidences of what hap- has already been happening in our lives of Jesus is king over us. So this isn't just about the future, some future idealistic reality, it's for here and now too. Or more simply put, maybe at the most basic level, this is a description of the life of the people gathered by and around Jesus. The description of the people that are gathered by and around Jesus. Remember, we can't forget the context here. This sermon is an invitation to follow Jesus. We have to go back into chapter 4 to see what Jesus is doing. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he's inviting people to follow him. And in inviting them to follow him, he's calling them to renounce everything that this world promises to them. He, He announces the kingdom is near. Then he calls people to repent, turning away from placing their hope in a false kingdom, to follow him. Not check boxes, not be religious, not be irreligious but to follow him, to follow him as king. See, sojourn, to be a part of the kingdom of God is to be close to the king. And when you're close to the king, everything changes. Everything changes. See, wherever Jesus is king, the kingdom is present. But right now it's not complete and it's not full. It's not, hasn't come into its fullness yet. The kingdom has come, is here, and will come. Which is hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around. The kingdom has come, is here, and will come because Jesus is king. And Jesus has come. And Jesus has been raised to new life and he sits on the throne right now at the right hand of the father. Ruling and reigning as king. But we also know that Jesus will come again. So we live in this reality that we sometimes refer to as a now and a not yet. It's present now, but it's not fully realized yet. The reality of the kingdom hasn't come to its full its orbed uh, reality of what God desires and is going to bring about. And we know this. We don't have to really dive into that too much with trying to wrap our minds up. We know it. we experience in our own lives. There, there's not perfect harmony in your life right now. There's not perfect unity amongst brothers and sisters right now. There's not this perfect peace or what the Bible calls shalom in this world right now. It's in your life as an individual. It's in our church family. It's in the world around us. But there are tastes of it, glimpses of it. This place, this group of people, if we call ourselves God's people, if we are part of the kingdom of God, we should see those glimpses in and amongst ourselves. But it's not going to be perfect right now. We know that as a church. Even right now, we've seen glimpses, beautiful glimpses and tastes of the blessing of being God's people here and now. And at the very same time, have experienced heart-wrenching difficulty through conflict. That, that reminds us there's a now and a not yet. Jesus is king, but we still deal with the brokenness of this world. And that gets us back to a core issue for us. We desire to be in control. We desire to rule and not be ruled. We desire to be self-seeking kings of our own lives. and So when those two things come into conflict with one another, we experience conflict and difficulty in our lives. But the reality is, and we have to be reminded of this this morning, if you know Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, a reality for your life is that he is the king over your life and you are a part of his kingdom already right now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 Paul writes this, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, from a kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's literally moved us from one kingdom to another, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's true for you right now if you've placed your faith in Jesus. That's a reality for you right now. But the problem though for a lot of us is that from the outsider's perspective, when I say outsider, I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. I'm just saying someone who's not currently a part of the kingdom of God. They haven't placed their faith in Jesus. Again, maybe you find yourself in that place this morning. Or it's your neighbor, it's your coworker. From the outsider's perspective, looking at God's people who call themselves citizens of God's kingdom, they observe your life. It doesn't always produce much hope and doesn't seem very attractive. Because oftentimes when compared to the kingdoms of the world, there's not a lot of difference. Why is that? Because often as God's people, we can make God's kingdom and following Jesus as king seem burdensome. We can seem burdensome. It's just a a bunch of rules and boxes to check in order to please God. Or, Or we look exactly the same as the rest of the world we look exactly the same as the rest of the world and that doesn't produce life it leads to death if we look just like the rest of the world and so it ends up being a lot like the rest of the kingdoms of the world it's not countercultural it's just conformist whether we're seeking to check religious boxes off or we've chucked religion out the window completely and just say hey it just doesn't matter just go on living however you want to live and there's not much life in that how many of you are desert people come on be honest all right, dessert people, right? So there's all kinds of different desserts. Ice cream, cakes, cookies, candy, pastries, whatever it happens to be. And maybe some of you like the hard candy, like the real sugary stuff, uh, or just straight up chocolate's all you need, right? I'm not a huge dessert person, but I, I like my sweets now and then. And, and my favorite candy is uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, but, but the, the small mini ones that are individually wrapped in gold wrappers in a little orange bag, right? It's the exact right ratio of chocolate and peanut butter together. And and, and my family knows this. It's kind of the only candy that I really, really like. And so pretty much every Christmas, guaranteed to get two, three bags of this candy um, at Christmas time. And it lasts me for a little while. Not a long while, but a little while. But imagine if I get a bag of this uh, for Christmas. It's the correct packaging. You know what I'm talking about. Orange bag, little gold-wrapped candies inside. And it's filled with any of these pieces. But what would happen if I opened up a piece of this and, and, it, didn't, and, and it didn't have that tasty little chocolate peanut butter goodness in it? It had a Brussels sprout in it. Uh, I wouldn't be real happy, right? If that's your candy, you wouldn't be real happy. I'd be disappointed. I'd be let down. But what I wouldn't say to you if I opened up, what I wouldn't say is, well, the packaging is right. A- a- and I see the orange bag. I see the golden wrapper. So I guess this is what a Reese's peanut butter cup is. I mean, I wouldn't say that to you. We would reject that, even though, even though the packaging is correct. It's packaged a certain way. They're trying to, somebody's trying to tell you, no, this is a Reese's peanut butter cup. See, I think as God's people, we can teach and say and do things that are packaged to one another and to the world as what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, what it means to follow Jesus. But all we're actually doing is wrapping up Brussels sprouts and passing it off as chocolate deliciousness. You want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? You want to know what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God? Then just follow a bunch of rules. Sit a certain way, sing a certain way, speak a certain way, and then you'll be good to go. Or that you don't need to worry about all this stuff. Just chuck it all out the window. We can package that up and say, this is what it's really all about. But inside, if we get to the heart of the issue, that's not really what it is because we're not calling people to the king. We're calling people to something different. We're not calling people to his kingdom. We're calling people to something different. We're just packaging it up that way. See, this isn't about conforming to some outward reality. As if we say the right things and we seek to do the right things, then it must mean we're a part of this kingdom. No, it's about transformation at the core of who we are. It matters what's inside. Jesus confronts the Pharisees over this over and over again. He says the outside of the cup is clean, but inside it's filthy. See, Jesus cares about the reality of our hearts, our lives. And so this sermon from Jesus, this teaching from Jesus for us as his followers then is both indicting and hope producing. It's indicting because it confronts our hearts and our lives and what we think it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. But it's also hope producing because it calls us to the way of the king. It reminds us of Jesus and that he sits on the throne. See, when we understand this, when we begin to wrap our minds around this, we can see why verse 3 is so critical to us at the start of this teaching, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This verse is the beginning of what's often referred to as the Beatitudes. Maybe if in your Bible there's a heading there, it says Beatitudes. That's a weird word. The reason it's called Beatitudes is the Latin word for blessed sounds like Beatitude. So we've just kind of imported that into our Bibles, and that's why it's there. So we refer to it as the Beatitudes. But what we see in these next few verses, through these first few verses of chapter five, in what we call the Beatitudes is this kind of preamble. It's kind of an introduction to all of the rest of what Jesus is going to teach. So Jesus goes through a list of things and says, blessed is he, blessed is this person, blessed, so on and so forth. And we're gonna walk through all of those. But what does it mean to be blessed? I mean, if you're from the South, you say stuff like, bless her heart, bless his heart like poor, poor guy, <laughs> poor girl. But what does that really mean? I mean, what does it mean to be blessed? Blessed often is, I think we equate it with happiness. If I'm blessed, I'm happy. But happiness is, is, is circumstantial. It's fleeting. It comes and goes depending on what's going on in your life. So to be blessed in a biblical sense is about a state of well-being in relationship to God. It's saying if we're in relationship to God, then we are blessed because of that relationship, because of our closeness with him, because we're in this state. Again, it's about being close to the king. So Jesus says, blessed are those then who are poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Now, there's some debate about this. If in Luke's gospel, Luke, uh, when he records the Sermon on the Mount, he just says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say poor in spirit. So some scholars say, well, this is just about physical poverty. It's just about those who are actually poor. Others say, no, no, this is about spiritual poverty. It's about those who understand the reality of their their soul before the Lord. And they try to divide these two things up. And the reality is, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. And here's why. You remember Peter and Andrew and James and John. They left everything to follow Jesus. Literally everything to follow Jesus. They walked away from their livelihood. They walked away from financial security and stability in their life. They walked away from all of that to follow Jesus. They were literally poor. They had nothing. And this is right on the heels of Jesus calling them. We don't know exactly how much time's passed, but it hasn't been years. Maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, but they literally have nothing. They just pick up and they follow Jesus. They literally have nothing. But at the very same time, they have no spiritual power on their own either. They are in need in every way. And at this point, they literally, again, have nothing except Jesus. And as has been said before, you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's why I think that the physically poor often have a very real sense of their spiritual poverty. Maybe you've encountered people, maybe if you served with facets in the hypothermia care stuff a few weeks ago uh, with sojourn, or you've encountered people who are, who are physically poor. Poor. Oftentimes, it's easy to talk to them about spiritual things, and they they engage you about that. They understand their spiritual poverty. Why is that? Because there's no pretense in their life. There's no pompousness in their life. There's no prestige. They are humbled by life. But it's the riches of this world, the things of this world, that often cloud our real need. So we can't separate the reality of. A physical poverty, a physical poorness, and a spiritual poverty or spiritual poorness. Because it's oftentimes our our things, our riches, that actually cloud the reality of our own lives when it comes to our standing before God. That's why Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 19 that it is difficult, almost impossible, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples at that point go, wait a minute, if that's that's the case, then whoever's going to get into the kingdom of God? And that's when Jesus says to him with man... It's not possible with God. All things are possible. God can overcome that. See, I think this is why this is so confronting to us here in Northern Virginia and why as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be confronting to us because we have a lot. We have a lot. And we can be subtly, if not overtly, we can believe that because we have a lot, God must be pleased with us. He must be pleased with us. Because we have a lot, that we must be owed something. But the reality for all of us is that we have nothing to bring to God. We have nothing to offer to him, nothing to plead with, nothing to bargain with, with God. See, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit because they recognize their complete bankruptcy. They recognize their complete bankruptcy. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus confronts this very thing with a church that believes they're a part of the kingdom. So I want you to listen to this this morning. I want you to listen to Jesus' rebuke, but don't miss his invitation. Okay, listen to Jesus' words. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen to this, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, sojourn entrance into the kingdom of God does not come through accolades or reputation or recommendation. It doesn't come through ability or status or position or possession or power. It comes through real brokenness and recognition that the king in his kingdom can pick up the pieces. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the psalmist write, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. See, the kingdom of God is not a place for perfect people. It's a home and a hospital for those who need not only the Father's healing touch but also his powerful and comforting presence in their lives. And it's often the humbling circumstances of life that make us most aware of our true poverty and our true need for Jesus. I mean, have you had those moments? Have you had those moments in your life where you've had humbling circumstances in your life? You've been humbled by something that's happened, a situation in your life. Have you been Ever, have you ever been truly broken? Truly broken. And in the last few months, the last year of my own life, God's been breaking me over and over again, saying you don't have anything except me. Are you okay with that? See, I think oftentimes we can, we can even get to that place and say, God, I'm okay, I'm okay, because I have you and what? your wife, your kids, your home, your roommates, your friendships, your bank account, anything that comes after and. See, sometimes a brokenness when God humbles you down, he strips all that away from you and says, it's me. Are you satisfied with me? We are not truly impressive on our own. We're not So let me ask you this morning do you believe right now that there is something in you or something that you have that will make God accept you? Do you believe there's something in you right now or something that you have that will make God accept you? Friends, entrance into the kingdom comes by way of coming to the gates of the kingdom and saying, I have nothing and I need mercy. I have nothing and I need mercy. That's the way of the inverted kingdom. And it makes no sense to the world because there's nowhere else in the world that you can do that. If I go to the Verizon Center later this year and I try to go to an Adele concert, which I would love to go to, <laughs> if I try to go to that concert and I show up at the ticket, at the, at, the, at the gate and I say, hey, listen, I'd love to sit on the floor. Anywhere really is fine with me. I don't need to be up front. Just anywhere on the floor would be great. So can we make that happen? They're going to ask for a ticket. I don't have one of those. I'm just telling you what I need. They're going to turn me away. And if I don't go away, then security likely will be called. See, I need to buy something to get in. But the kingdom of God says, no, you come with nothing. You don't come with a ticket. You don't come with anything you purchase purchased, anything you've done. You come empty-handed and you say, I have nothing. And that's why the cross and the resurrection are the entrance for us into the kingdom of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords came down to us. He didn't come with legions and armies. He didn't come with prestige and power. He came as one of us and he went to a cross and he humbled himself on the point of that cross to take on the sin of the world, to take on your sin and my sin. And he died in our place and then he was raised again to new life. And it's through his death that you've been crucified and through his resurrection that you're raised to new life. He came as one of us having nothing yet in him through his poverty we can become rich. The reality is it's acknowledging the truth from the old hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand that I bring, simply to the cross I cling. See, Jesus is not calling you to be poor in spirit. He's not calling you to try harder to be broken. He's stating what's true for you already. It's already true. The kingdom belongs to those who recognize that everything this world offers is empty, that they're already poor in spirit and are desperate to be close to the King people who are willing to renounce everything to follow him. See, there's a unifying principle of brokenness that the citizens of the kingdom have. It's an understanding that we all have nothing, but in Christ, we possess everything. And again, that confronts us head on, especially in this area, because there's a, a, a cost to following the king and his kingdom. It's costly in this world. It's costly, especially in this area where we promote and prop up false kingdoms of power and prestige and prosperity, of being self-made and gifted and high-producing and type A natural-born leaders, alphas. But what we see here and what we'll see throughout this series is that the wisdom of the inverted kingdom stands in stark contrast to the wisdom of this world, no matter how much the wisdom of this world might get you ahead in life. See, at times I think we can all feel this need to maintain, to keep up, to impress. Maybe you feel that in your workplace or at school or as a stay-at-home mom. I feel it in ministry. And i gotta, I got to keep up. i got to preach a certain way. i got to do things a certain way to impress, to maintain something. But the reality for all of us, if we find ourselves in that place, is it's slavery. It's slavery. The question is, do you recognize it or not? Do you recognize, do I recognize that I, that I have this spiritual poverty or I still, am I still holding on to something within myself or grabbing for something outside of myself to impress God? What is it for you? What is it for you? See, the world may look at us and scoff at us thinking that we're pitiable and helpless, dividing us and them into winners and losers. But when we understand the reality of the inverted kingdom of God, we can say, yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. That was the reality for the first disciples. But man, what freedom comes in that? What freedom to let go of the empty promises and prestige of the world and cling closely to Jesus? What freedom to embrace our brokenness? What freedom to be thankful for those times when we're made aware, often painfully so, of what's already true for us? See, in the kingdom of God, pretense and posturing are done away with. They're done away with. Because we all have nothing. We all are nothing. But Jesus is and has everything. And he gives it to us. This verse and sets the tone of this sermon from Jesus. It's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a, it's a picture of lived faith. But something we can't miss, and I want to just come back to again before we continue on in this series, is this isn't about behavior. It's not about performing. It's about abiding. And if we miss this, it'll be like trying to fly a plane without an engine and it's missing a wing. It's just going to crash and burn. See, one of the, God's most consistent ways of showing us his kingly rule and his kingly love towards us is reminding us of who we are and whose we are. We're not called to perform. We're not called to impress. We're not called to fake it till we make it. We are called to someone. We're called to someone, to the king, to follow him, to abide in him, to be close to him. These words only mean something because they come from Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I mean all of who he is and what he's done, the sovereign, the the savior, the son, the sustainer. They're not abstract principles. These words are intimately connected to Jesus. And we have to remember that Jesus invites us to himself in this. He offers us himself in this. So this sermon is a description of of and direction for the people of god gathered by and around jesus if we separate this from jesus we're going to just become legalistic and trying to obey we have to come close to jesus so it's not about self-will it's not about the pursuit of virtue it's about the pursuit of the king the one who announces to you even now repent for the kingdom of heaven is near See, Jesus confronts the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms that still reside in our hearts. As one scholar says, all of his words, all of Jesus' words are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. Because the future has arrived in the present Jesus of Nazareth. Catch this, he says, it may seem upside down. But we are called to believe with great daring that it is, in fact, the right way up. Try it and see. Try it and see. For all of us, it's not a matter of if you are poor in spirit or not. We all are. The question is, do you recognize it or not? And that shouldn't cause us despair but hope because we have a king who calls us to himself and will care for us here and now and forever. So come close to Jesus today. Listen to the voice of the king and come to him. That's where life is found in his upside down inverted kingdom. A place where you have nothing but possess everything. So try it and see. As the first act of response to the word preached this morning, we're going to come forward to take communion together. And earlier I read from Psalm 34 verse 18. And again, it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. That's good news for us this morning. We can admit our brokenness, our empty hands. But earlier in Psalm 34, verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Sojourn, the gates of the kingdom are open. The king has come and he will come again. And this communion meal, this eating the bread and drinking the cup, they're an opportunity for us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so as you come forward this morning... It's an opportunity for you to take refuge in him now, empty-handed. You come to the table empty-handed this morning. You don't pay for the bread and the drink. You come empty-handed. It's a picture of the reality of the kingdom of God, to come and dine with the king at his table in his kingdom today. So come and be encouraged that in yourself you have nothing, but in Jesus and his kingdom you have everything. So as you eat and drink this morning, be reminded also encouraged that he really is, Better than anything that a false kingdom offers to you. And draw near to him today. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask for you not to come forward this morning. And and the reason is because when we come forward and we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're declaring to one another, publicly to one another, to ourselves, that we really believe Jesus is King, that we really have nothing. And so if you're not yet a follower of Christ, we would invite you to take Jesus this morning, to, to place your faith in him this morning, to start following him this morning, to come close to him this morning. And if you have questions about what it means to know Christ, to follow Christ, to begin that relationship with Jesus, then I'd love to talk with you about that. As I said earlier, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk with you or pray with you. But know this, you don't have to talk to me. That's why this church is here. We desire for people in Fairfax, all over Northern Virginia, and all over the world to know the king, and be a part of the kingdom. And so if that's you this morning, just come and be a part of this community. Jump into a community group. Talk with somebody you came with this morning. We'd love to journey with you in this. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or there's two tables in the back and tear off a piece of bread. Take a small cup to drink and what Jesus, the king, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is simple. As Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May that that not just be a line that we have memorized or just wrote words that we say. May that be true. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us to listen to the voice of our king. Not only today, but tomorrow, throughout this week, throughout our lives, help us to listen, help us to come close to him and rest in him. Empty-handed we come, but recognizing that in that we possess everything in the kingdom of God. Father, we praise you for your great grace that comes in and through Jesus, and we praise you that the king is on the throne right here, right now, and we ask, and we pray, and we beg, come Lord Jesus. We pray all this in his name, amen.